0: at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Jacob Hill, welcome to ATV Talk. I know we've been friends for a number of years and you've went off and done some pretty exciting things in the Navy. I want you to tell everybody that's listening what you do in the Navy and what your rank is, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, hey Lenny, thanks for having me on the show today. Um, yeah, I spent 15 years in the Navy as an aviation rescue swimmer, payoffs uh, for first class, um, working in various aspects of rotary wing aviation, testing, development, search and rescue, um, things of that nature.
0: So, you said you're you're still a swimmer. You still have that certification.
1: Uh, I do. Uh, it's not what I'm currently doing in my in my role. Um, I've switched over to the reserves. I work with unmanned aircraft now. Um and just whatever they, they ask of me.
0: <laughs> Basically you just go wherever you're supposed to go and do whatever you're supposed to do. Yep, more or less. Wow. Does that make it kind of hard to zone in on something specific?
1: Mm. Yeah, try not to go into the weeds here with, with with on a on a public forum money. <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> oh, there's, so, well, if there's things you can't talk about, you can just say, Hey, you know, we, we got to go a different direction, brother, because yeah. I can't, there are things that you are not going to be able to tell me.
1: Yeah. it just, it just depends on and where the mission takes us and, and when and where, but it does make it really hard to plan things. Um, sometimes when you're going, where you're going, things like that.
0: Excellent. Excellent. It, it, I understand that based on some of the conversations because you and I are friends and we've been friends for a number of years, that some of the things that you tell me um, that's what brought this on to bring you on the show. Cause I got excited about hearing some of those things. And I know that you're not going to get into them today and and that breaks my heart because they're good stories, man. They're great stories. Um, Probably would take a whole new generation of kids that would listen to this and bring them into military service, because they would get to go to really cool things in faraway land. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's way cooler than that.
1: Yeah. Hey, you know, the country needs uh, service members uh, every day. Uh, we need people to continue to stand up and fight as we hand the torches over. Uh, I'm 35 years old now. and. and as a, as a famous off-road racer once put it, he's in my mind, I think my body's gone crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, we just, we need that next generation to stand up and, and take the torch uh, and you got to pay to play.
0: <laughs> so hey, how much does age pl- play a role in what you do?
1: Um, well, you get a lot of experience um, the longer you've been in, um, that experience how to handle certain situations and, and, and how to lead the, the younger group and, and train them along the way—it's um, it, huge. Uh, however, the, the time—it's almost—it takes an exponential pull on your body. I think I flew a little over 2,000 hours uh, when I was still on active duty and um, didn't necessarily feel it every day. Right away, it came on later. Um, definitely feel it today. Um, for being thirty-five years old and sore and stiff and making sounds with my body every day, it's uh it's catching up with you pretty quick.
0: Just wait till you get to be my age.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what you're worried about, right? Yeah. Uh, are you sure it's not the ATV life that you had before the Navy?
1: Yeah, you know that was such a small blip that that it's hard to say anymore. um I, I definitely miss those racing days. It was a lot of fun and and. Uh, it definitely prepared me for for the path that I followed in the years after. Um, You know, everything from uh, the work series and and best in the desert and, uh, and ATV quad cross uh, series, you know, keep pushing, don't quit and give it everything you got. And and that, that little piece right there will carry a long way in the military.
0: When you transitioned from, atv racer to the military what were some of the driving forces that that took you to the military service
1: <laughs> um you know i i i like to i like to uh compare my my motorcycle racing days to kind of like chasing a rodeo um it was always it was always going to that next race that next series the next event you know coming up to the last minute, the, the motor still torn down the, the, the week leading up to all that kind of stuff. And it was, uh, I, I remember at one point, I think I was 20 years old and I think I have $60,000 credit cards to, to ATV racing. And, and I just, I realized I was like, this isn't going anywhere very fast. And it, it, it it's just digging me a bigger and bigger hole. I loved what I was doing. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, but I realized I had to grow up. Um, I think the big thing, um, that happened is I, I moved up pretty quickly. Uh, I think that last season I was um, definitely toying in the pro am um, class, and and I was still running on a stock motor. Um, I invested all 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 the resources into suspension and, and just bringing that stock motor up as far as it would go. Uh, but I was always just just a little off the podium. Just didn't quite have enough talent to to maintain it up there. And um, you know, as, as young boys coming into manhood having those hard realities that hey this isn't sustainable and you got to find another way um you know I think my last race was there at, at Havasu and there's like I'm like you gotta you gotta finish on the podium today or you gotta start considering some other options and uh, uh obviously I didn't, didn't finish on the podium that day and, and uh, you know I went back home and started taking a really hard look in the mirror. So, what am I going to do with my life I can't be ATV racing forever. Um, and, and then just took that big look in the mirror and, and then started putting, putting pieces around on the chessboard.
0: How did you pick the Navy?
1: Uh, believe it or not, I, 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 uh, I started with the Coast Guard. I wanted to be a rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard. Um, and I remember this old boy, Jimmy, that I used to work with. Uh, he was an old 101st Airborne guy and uh, retired. And, and, you know, uh, he was a fabulous electrician in the off-road industry. And, you know, he'd been working at that shop for two years. And he'd come in one day and says, Jake, you got to do something more with your life. He's like, I'm going on vacation. And, uh, don't be here when I get back. You got to do something more. And so I really started putting that effort into looking and finding what else was out there. And uh, I had a lot of inspiration from that movie, The Guardian, when it came out, that Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher movie. Um, I was like, that's something I could do, definitely. And, um, and went and talked to a uh, Coast Guard Recruiter. and they're pretty picky at that time, uh, in, in that year. And then I found uh, the alternative in the Navy, um, did ROTC stuff when I was a kid and, um, went and talked to a Navy recruiter and picked out what I was going to do and sign me up, and send me out. And that's, uh, that's what I did. It,
0: and did you automatically go right into rescue swimmer when you were in the Navy or did you have to go through a process to get there?
1: Uh, there's definitely a process. You know, everybody starts out going through Recruit Training Command there in Great Lakes. Um, uh, they do offer up contracts for specific rates, specific jobs. Uh, and I, I did have that worked out. And then from Great Lakes, I went down to Pensacola, Florida. And, and uh, you go through Naval Air Crew Candidate School. And, um, and then from there, you go to Rescue Swimmer School. Um, five weeks of intense swimming and water survival. Uh, physical fitness, things like that, and uh, that's where you, you you go through that pipeline.
0: And you lion, you know there's sharks in the water, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like to scuba dive as well. Did that play a role in any portion of your naval career?
1: Uh, didn't do any diving in the in the navy um, at that capacity. Um, being a diver as a hobby growing up. Um, definitely made me very comfortable in the water. Um, and that, that played a role in my success as a rescue swimmer. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. A lot of, a lot of my family still thinks like, they're like, oh yeah, he's a, he's a diver for the Navy. And I'm like, they, they kick us out of the helicopter with far less equipment. <laughs> as rescue. <laughs> <shivers>. <laughs> hey,
0: well, let me ask you this. You grew up in Arizona.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you become a scuba diver in the desert?
1: Good question. Um, used to spend a lot of summers uh, up in up in Maine. My my grandparents had some property up there, and uh, you know, running, jumping off the dock, and, and swimming around, and you know, get a mask and look around. And and I was always just wanting to know what was what was beyond my reach, what was deeper, what was further out there. Um, and I remember one as I got older, I started spending summers up there helping grandpa, and I saved up some money and come back uh, come back to Phoenix after that summer and. And uh, saw a commercial for for some school classes and went to my mom and said, hey, I I saved up the money. It's a hundred dollars. I'd like to sign up for this class. And and that was was how I got
0: started. Well, that's pretty awesome. You've been telling me that you've you've been diving all around the world. Um, I think it's a little crazy. (laughs) Obviously, you like it a lot. Um, I'm sure you've seen some pretty cool stuff.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of history under the water, and and in fact, uh, we we know more about the surface of Mars than we do than than what we understand about the the 70 percent of Earth that's covered by oceans. Um, uh, lived in Guam for three years. The diving out there was was fabulous. A lot of history from World War II uh, to be seen underwater. Uh, Done worked on projects in um, the Chesapeake Bay and and. various things overseas in Europe and, um, a lot of fun. Um, you get to see things that, that most people don't ever get to see and only read about and getting to see the size of some of the things or, or getting that little bit of perspective it. It just, it adds to a very unique experience and understanding of the world we live in.
0: Large fish you mean, or just some of the, the ships that may be on the bottom of the ocean.
1: Uh, some of the ships that are nearby the, the ocean, but, but also, yes, yeah, the wild animals um, that are absolutely wild. Uh, a couple of times I've swam into wrecks that have like these gigantic Goliath skin inside of them. And they're so big that they can't even get out anymore. It just lives in that compartment of that shipwreck. Um, and, and they're like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, they're gigantic. Um, it, it's just really, it's, it's unique to see. And, and it puts things into perspective of how small we are, kind of.
0: Can groupers eat humans?
1: Their mouth is big enough. I I
0: mean, anything's possible. Wow. So one of the things that I wanted to touch on with you, it's more of a somber subject, and I don't think that it's been touched on near enough for our military heroes. (laughs) Okay, yes, I consider you a military hero. You may not have been out there taking bullets or throwing bullets or any of that stuff, but you still put yourself out there and did a job that uh, most people won't do. You know, there's a lot of people in this country that are just too lazy or too weak or whatever you want to call it. And if anybody is offended by that, I stand by my words. You know where I'm at. Come and see me. Um, Your transition from... Deployment to civilian to deployment to, to civilian takes a toll on you mentally um, and, the, the, and your family, because your family it, it will also served because you did at the same time. You know, you weren't the only one serving. They were, too, because you weren't there. There's different aspects of their life that change when you're gone and when you're home. And I want to talk a little bit about how the transition's going and what options you have for help counseling, things like that, that, that can help you help help you deal with these transitions.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, everybody, everybody travels this path in, in their own way. Um, number of deployments, where you go, what you do, what you see, hear, smell, you name it. And, and everybody, Everybody experiences that in their own unique way. Um, how something I see affects me versus how it might affect my partner—totally uh, different things. We all have just different ways of interpreting interpreting the environment around us. Um, you know, for, for me and my family, we spent we've been married eleven years. Uh, just on the third, we celebrated our eleventh anniversary. Uh, and in that eleven years, we've only lived together for about four of them, uh, just due to various circumstances, um, and and we've done we've been through multiple deployments, um, and and then in in two thousand in two thousand uh, twelve, I switched over to to the reserves, and and then found myself um, doing multiple deployments back to back, and so that's a whole another dynamic. You're going from regular civilian life spun up on a, on a mobilization and then, and deploy and then come back and draw back down again and then do it all over again. And it, it's taken a, it's taken a significant toll uh, on, on, on the family on the home front. And, and for myself, you know, I think I've always been pretty mentally strong, but it, and, in, in, you know, in 2012, when I got out, I was, I was doing okay. Uh, but then seeing how life slowed down um, in that transition you know, a lot of a lot of struggle there. That readaptation when you're used to going 100 miles an hour all the time and go 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 to a much slower lifestyle, um, and then going back and then doing it all over again, and having just finished up a, a deployment number know, five or six, uh, and coming back this time, it, it's it's definitely. I've noticed that it, is, it does get progressively harder as, as we make those transitions uh, and this is a, a, a new experience for myself. Um, and, and it it's affected the family, the kids, um, everybody pays a price for it one way or another. Um, what I'm learning through this is that the resources are out there. You've got the VA, you've got uh, Wounded Warriors, you've got um, a number of, of, of organizations out there willing and ready to help you if you just reach out to it. And, and the important thing I, I tell people is uh, um, it's there. Um, and if, if you don't think you need it, um, it'll be there when you do. Um,
0: you think it's the hardest thing? The hardest thing for you is whether you know
1: you need it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then accepting that you might need it. You know, We're, we're all kind of built to, to compartmentalize and, and handle things and just kind of bury it, put it in a box, stick it on the shelf, bury it in the backyard kind of thing. And, and it may not bother you today. It may not bother you next month. Um, but I know guys that have been out for 15, 20 years. And then one day it just comes out. And, and sometimes it comes out really hard and heavy. And, uh, and the longer you've been sitting on it, the, the bigger the impact it might have.
0: Well. I've known you for a long time and and one of the reasons why I bring it up is because I can see a different in you difference in you as the well you know let's just clear clear the air young boy to grown man that's serious and uh accomplished um, but as I watched your transition through your deployments when you would come back, you were usually jovial. Um, and happy and, and okay with most of it. And this time you are somber and serious and almost focused to a point, but it's like, you're not focused. You know, it's, it's a struggle for me to understand because I'm not, I'm not with you all the time. I only get to see you in bits and pieces. And um, that's why I'm asking these questions of you. And I, and I know that we're going to uh, air this show and and i appreciate you understanding that we did i did touch base to make sure that it was okay to ask this before we started um, yeah. because i never want to put somebody in a position they don't want to be in yeah but um, how do you i know you're not a drinker not really um so i don't see that as becoming an issue for you But how do you think you'll know because you are ego driven, you raced ATVs, you, you've flown in helicopters, you wanted to be a a swimmer, you know, to save lives. That's ego driven stuff. You talk about compartmentalizing things. um, And you've always been good at that. How do you think you'll know if you need to step out of your comfort zone and ask for help?
1: Yeah, I think I'm I'm definitely in that phase right now. I and mean, I don't have it fully figured out uh for myself. I'm, I'm I'm actively traveling that road right now and 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 working through it with my family. Um you know. A lot of guys ask what what do you do after life in the military? And 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 you know, some guys move on to to take up hobbies, uh spend time with their families, uh find new calls to service. Um you know, whatever healthy outlet you can get, um, to redirect yourself and, and, and give you that, that drive and focus or whatever it is that you need to, to just continue on and without a happy, healthy life. I think that's very important. Um, you know, for me, I know I've got a lot of projects that I want to work on and things I'd like to do with my kids and catching up with my wife and, and making up for lost time and fixing those, um, fixing up those relationships as best we can. Um, it's all we can do.
0: What do you think that your next career is going to be? I know that you, I know that you haven't got there yet, but do you have any ideas, any feelers?
1: Um, you know, no, I really haven't. I mean, we've talked about a couple of different ideas. We've talked about going back to school for a little bit. Um, but, but I, I, you know, one thing I've been saying quite often is, is, uh, before I can be good for anything else, I got to be good for me. And I'm going to take that time um, to develop that and, and, and make sure before I step back out there, whatever capacity, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: good to go again. That's that's super important. That's a that's a smart decision is to make sure that your motor's running right before you go try to work for somebody else and and, and benefit them or, or return that. That's that's a good, wise decision. You know, I, I like that. Look, that look, uh, do you live close enough to the water? Do you get to dive? Yeah, we
1: uh, we just recently re- uh, relocated to South Carolina. We're uh, just outside of Charleston. Um, um, haven't been in the water too much since I got back, but uh, I've got a couple of projects coming up in the Chesapeake and and looking to do some stuff offshore here uh, as soon as everything gets settled in and, and broken down and inspected and rebuilt and ready to go again. But yeah, looking to get back in the water as soon as I can.
0: That's so... Do you think that you could end up doing a job in that, you know, um, in, in that field where you were diving for a living?
1: Um, I do. It's kind of hard. You know, I'm not a commercial diver. Uh, I know there's a lot of work out in that field, um, but most of my uh, training experience revolves around the recreational world. Um, but we do do I do work with a, uh, an organization out of the Chesapeake area, Institute of Maritime History, we work on um underwater archaeology projects for the state of Maryland. Um, in, a, in a nutshell, you know, we'll uh do the survey of, of what's underwater looking for, for targets, uh anomalies, things like that, shipwrecks, anchors, you name it. We'll uh and then we'll, we'll if we get lucky enough, we get to go down and dive it and inspect it, find out what it is, maybe put some history pieces together. Um, Cross-reference that with some some archives and, and then, you know, start to tell that item story. Maybe it's been lost, uh, you know, for the last two or three hundred years, uh, which is not uncommon to find out there.
0: Uh, so Civil War era uh, independence. Yeah,
1: there's, there's a couple of things out there we found from the, uh, the, the Revolutionary War period. Um, in the Potomac River, there's, believe it or not, there's a U-boat in World War II there. Um, and, and it, uh, uh, it was, it was the U-boat that, it, um, we reverse engineered the anechoic coating off of, but that kind of rubberized coating, um, that, that went into modern submarines. A German U-boat is in the river. Yeah.
0: Did we sink it there or?
1: We did. Yeah. It was, it was captured during World War II. The French and the English uh, you know, exploited it and then they gave it to us and we exploited it and then we used it as a target and sank it and floated it and sank it and floated it and now it just sits in the bottom of the Potomac River on about 80 feet of water.
0: They, is it there for any special reason or just...
1: That was just where the Navy used to... That was where the Navy probably used it as a target range someday back a long time ago and that's just where she lied now but the, the history is still there and it's still something that can be seen and observed.
0: Shouldn't they put it on dry land so people can see it?
1: Maybe not that one,
0: but. (laughs) (laughs) Got a couple holes in it, huh? Yeah, yeah,
1: probably. A lot of it's under the mud, believe it or not.
0: Really sinks down in there, huh? Yeah. Is Is there a danger aspect to diving around things like that? Um, oh, slides or things like you know i don't know what i'm talking about so
1: yeah absolutely i mean everything from fishing tackle and, and um, drag lines and things like that uh, you mix that with currents and low visibility um you know the potential for a diver to be entangled uh definitely exists and it does happen um, um and, uh, yeah it all just depends on the site
0: really do you, do you have you ever gotten tangled
1: I have. Um, I've found myself in a couple of hairy situations <laughs> in, in the past, um, from equipment failures to entanglements to, you know, you, you kind of name it. Um, overhead environments, you know, it just it happens. But that's what you train for.
0: What do you mean overhead environments?
1: Um, I've been back into some caves. I've done some cave training for that. Um, inside wrecks, anything where you don't have a direct ascent to the surface. Uh, is what we consider an overhead environment um yeah it, it adds a different dynamic to the to the psychological game of diving
0: makes it makes it much scarier i would assume
1: a little bit definitely a little bit
0: yeah i don't i don't think i would like to be under the water where it's not clear and bright you know having it uh you know, you just never know when that thing is going to come be bopping up behind you that that's bigger than you and has sharp teeth.
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen
0: that often. It ha- it's in the news every day, dude. Bull <laughs> sharks eat people every day. Uh,
1: they just take a little
0: nibble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you can you can lie to me all you want. Right? <laughs> OK, I, not going in the water. All right. They say Jaws was not a real thing but I think that was a documentary, not a fake movie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I haven't liked the, I haven't liked the ocean since. Can we get a little bit into some of your career, some of the things that you've got to do with uh, flying helicopters over and uh, I believe it was Iraq. Yeah. Um, let's see. In
1: 2000, uh, so 2010, uh, was a station in Guam at HSC 25, and then we were augmenting the um uh, uh, the Army dust-off mission in, in Basra, Iraq. Um, uh, so we were deployed out there, um, provide medevac support to uh theater operations. Um yeah, um thinking <laughs> back. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it was, it was a good time. Um, saw a lot of stuff, had a lot of experiences, um, definitely being over there for me, uh, in the moment, it was kind of sometimes terrifying. And, and after I left, I realized i never felt more alive, um, being out there working like that with the guys, the men and women that I was working with. Um, we provided care from point of injury to a higher level of medical medical care, um, and then patient transfer from one level of medical care to the next, um, as required, uh, great time. Uh, one of the, you know, thinking about it, it, it was one of the highlights of my career getting out, getting out there and working with those guys like that. Um,
0: Did you actually see combat?
1: No, no, it was towards the tail end of, uh, operations in Iraq and, um,
0: no, no firefights in, during picking up uh wounded?
1: Mm-hmm. No, I can't say that I did.
0: That's kind of unusual, isn't it?
1: So, um, we all had different, we we're all there different times, different experiences. Um, but, but I didn't, I didn't ever participate in anything.
0: The helicopter never got shot at?
1: If we did, I didn't see it. We, def- we definitely de- deployed a lot of flares, but, you know. <laughs>
0: No, 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 that that sounds like it was pretty unexciting maybe
1: you know it, the, the excitement came from not knowing what you were going to get you know um you you didn't always know where you were going to go land you know the, the alarm would go off the radios would go off and, and and you'd be moving to the helicopter not even knowing where you're, you're going yet and um uh, um you know, so you're, you're potentially landing in a place you've never been before. You're not going to get a chance to really get a good look at it and you're going to do it all on the fly, uh, and then get in and get out. And, um, you know, you might find yourself out on a highway, you might find yourself out in the middle of the other, you might find yourself in the middle of a town. Uh, but, uh, you know, fortunately everything went, went through pretty successfully without a whole lot of, a lot of issues. And that's what we all hope for going out there. Um
0: when you deployed did you deploy to the same place every time
1: no i've been i've been all over um i've been out at sea on ships and, and land based deployments it all just depends
0: so you've been like uh, on a Westpac where they used to call where you you'd go out on the ship for 6 to 9 months um and and i didn't realize that you went out on Were those before You started uh, deploying out to the war or was was that during the same time frame?
1: Uh, When I was stationed in Guam, I did did two spring cruises down through like the South China Sea area. Um, And then in between those two, I did that tour to Iraq and then uh, moved back to San Diego. uh, And then did a a Westpac deployment uh, uh, from San Diego out out into the Middle East theater. And uh, that was a long seven, eight months. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and it, you prefer the land deployments versus the sea deployments
1: uh definitely the land deployments
0: <laughs> not a sea guy huh uh
1: you know i like being out of sea it, it, it's a lot of fun uh you see a lot of neat stuff out there um as you as you make your way past islands and things like that that, that most people don't ever get to lay eyes on um but every day is kind of like groundhog Day on a ship um, so,
0: I don't understand it. <laughs> Fill me in on that that analogy.
1: Uh, Groundhog's Day, every day is the same. You're going to wake up, you're going to for an hour, you're going to come back, you're going to go back to your rack, you're going to sleep, and you're going to eat, and you're going to, go, you're going to wash, rinse, repeat every single day.
0: Did, did you ever think about the fact that you're on a tin can floating around in the middle of the ocean? And if it sinks, you're in the water?
1: Yeah, I think about it every day. <laughs>
0: no no worries not going to sink it's all good
1: yeah I mean stuff floats and the laws of buoyancy it all works and <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah dude I'm not going to go out on the. I'm not going to go out on that tin can sorry <laughs> not going to happen <laughs> I'm not going to go out in the yacht I'm not going to go out in the rowboat you know it's just we were not meant to be on the water yeah you know, my hands aren't webbed. You know, I have no gills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I'm, I never should have watched Jaws as a kid. It ruined
1: it. Yeah, that ruined an entire generation for people in the water. It's unfortunate. But you could always use a bigger boat.
0: <laughs> yeah, you could. <laughs> yeah, you can. I did get to go scuba diving over in Hawaii. I thought it was amazing. But there again, clear you could see, you know, as far away as you can on land, in my opinion.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, visibility in the waters in Hawaii is great. It's something often my wife and I, uh, we talk about a lot. She doesn't dive at all. Um, but she, you know, she's all, I'm like, Hey, you know, you could totally get in the water and do this. And, and, and we've, we've worked, we've worked on it over the last 11 years. And, and, and I remember when we got married, she, she would barely put her toes in the water and, we took a trip down to Key West one year, and you know, twenty twenty minutes or so, and we had her laid out snorkeling, and it was, she was doing great. I'm like, see, I'm like, it's not all bad, you know. I don't expect to put you into black water and have you do what I do, but you can definitely enjoy the environment in a, in a crystal clear bathwater setting.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's everybody loves that, right? Yeah. You get to see the predator coming. Sure. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to not see it coming, you know, uh, Kenny Roberts. I don't know if you know who he is. World famous motorcycle racer was uh, interviewed and he was racing in Japan and it was raining really hard and he fell off at, you know, 130 miles an hour slides down the, the the side of the track and ends up in front of the grandstands. And, and he's, jumps to his feet and just yells out, wow, that was so cool. And the freaking spectators are just jaw dropping, you know, because they figured this guy was going to get hurt. And then they asked him about what's he afraid of? He goes, I'm afraid of going swimming in the ocean. (laughs) You know, he said, yeah, I don't want to go scuba diving. It scares me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like it because it, it, it really, it really, for me, diving has always been enjoyable because it's the one place that you go down there. I can turn everything else off. I, I can focus on what I'm doing, and my mind's usually going 100 miles an hour with a lot of different things. So, so to, to put together a dive plan and go, you know, put on a rebreather, do some decompression, whatever, whatever it is that I'm getting into, having the ability to just turn everything else off and just focus on that, uh, though it's an intense environment. For me, it just it allows me to just clear my head
0: well yeah because it's just aren't you just focused on when you're diving don't you just have to be focused on exactly what you're doing because things can go wrong so fast
1: um for for me that's the way i approach it Uh, i mean it's a great healthy hobby for a lot of people and and you can you can be for the most part pretty carefree and relaxed during it And, and the more relaxed you are the better um I like to do a lot of technical diving, and you're, you're using mixed gas and, and rebreathers and decompression schedules, stuff like that. So, there's things you got to pay attention to um, how fast you ascend, how long you're at a specific depth, um, run times, thing like, things like that. So, you, you got to stay on a schedule, um, and you got to stay focused on that uh, and maintain your profile. Um, and that's, you know, I just lock onto that. And, and
0: else, it doesn't matter what I'll do. With it. That's freaking—it's pretty intense stuff, there, brother. Let, let, let's get back on track a little bit with the military career. I know you can't talk about a lot of the things that that have happened, um, especially in the last deployment. Um, but could you tell us where you were?
1: Uh, I spent most most last deployment in the in, uh, um, uh, Middle East theater, kind of just working in and out of there.
0: Not not any no no good highlights, huh? Not a lot. No. is there any is there any uh did you get to go sightseeing or see anything that that you hadn't seen in other portions of of the middle east that you had been in
1: um i got to see a lot of uh, of, uh, of a couple cities um spent some time in and out of kuwait um you know getting to see um the architecture the culture the um way that that part of the world kind of lived and functions uh was pretty unique um
0: some of this stuff's pretty spectacular isn't it
1: i'll tell you the architecture is beautiful um they go uh they go
0: big in the yeah. Middle
1: architecture yeah
0: is it mostly the the um mosques that are so big or is it is it everything
1: um i mean they do they do they do put a lot into the mosques um a lot of the, a lot of the large shopping centers and malls, they've got a mall there. I think they spent like three billion dollars building it, and it's you walk from one end to the other, and you're going to walk a couple miles. Um yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular, and the, the differences in in architecture, even just just walking throughout, you go from one extreme to the other. Um, they definitely uh, put a lot of emphasis on that kind of stuff. There it seems
0: trying to make it more. F- Family oriented environments?
1: I I would, yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's definitely a place to go, a place to be, a lot of families, a lot of shopping, things like that.
0: If you had to give your opinion, do you think that's a very safe place? Like if you wanted to go on a vacation?
1: I don't see why not.
0: I mean, you you thought it was pretty safe? Yeah. (laughs) You're not elaborating very much here, brother.
1: Sorry, boss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you probably would rather talk about ATVs than, than, than some of this other stuff, <clears throat> you know, you know, why don't you just tell the story about how, how we became friends? Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember growing up and, and, uh, let's see, it would have been like 2000, early two thousands. Um, like most kids in Arizona, riding motorcycles, ATVs, whatever we get our hands on, and uh, you know, I remember watching the the Webos movies when they, those were still running, and and reading Dirt Wheels magazines, and, and I remember always reading reading about Lenny Duncan and, and Doug Eichner, and, and uh, I'm like, these are the guys to beat They're they're running really cool machines, and they got really good track records, and and so as a young kid, I was that was what I enjoyed reading about every month when the magazines came out. Uh, and it was, internet was still pretty new. We didn't have social media. We didn't have cell phones with cameras on them, things like that. Um, so you really relied on, on printed media and, you know, any, any production, anybody was willing to put together. Um, let's see. I started racing and. Oh, it would have been. Oh, 2000. 2004, 2005 ish, it was a pretty short stint. And I raced till uh, September of 2007, was when I left for the military. Um, I think my first job in high school uh, was working at a bike shop. And then I got, I got kind of scooped up out of there to go work for an off road uh, ATV shop. And then quickly found myself getting off of the the old stock 400 EX and into something that that had some suspension and was built around a a race bike and, um, went out to the local series that year. It was the Arizona state championship series. And, uh, so there was a lot of races in that series. I want to say there was upwards of 18 or 20 races in that series. Um, did my first season there and then expanded into the, ITP quad cross series after that. And, and I remember writing to sponsors and you know, oh, I want to, I want to get hooked up with Duncan racing and, um, sent you guys a, a sponsorship request. And, and I, you know, was so excited to get picked up at, at whatever capacity I did. And, and then I remember, you know, walking out to, to, to you guys, the pits in Glen Helen and, and introducing myself and wanted to say, thank you for picking me up as part of the team. And, and you know, for me, it was a big moment meeting, meeting, my racing heroes, the guys I looked up to in all those years. And, and then you, you know, you were both very welcoming. You were both very, uh, generous with your time and and took the time to explain things and talk and and share experiences. And I'm just like, wow, that that couldn't have been any better. And I, I found myself, you know, when I was not working on, on my bike or getting ready for the next heat, I was over there spending every, every bit of time I could get just consuming whatever you guys would share with me. It was, it was, uh, For a young kid with with racing aspirations, that had a huge impact on on my my younger years and and putting into the stuff.
0: It just it's just the way Doug and I always did things, and it's always the way the plan from way back when my dad ran the show. Um, You give people your time. You be courteous. You don't Um, when it's race time. I'm sorry, I got to go race. But when it's not race time, if you're not rebuilding something on the machine or whatever, you take the time to engage in those conversations and engage in those relationships and build them and develop them. Because you never know, you get a lifelong friend, um, you know, and riders change sponsors like they change underwear. I mean, it just, you just never know. One minute you're going to be doing that, you're going to be under our tent, the next minute you're on somebody else's tent. And, and, you know, a lot of that when you're younger, like some of the stuff when I was younger, yeah, I didn't like that. Um, I wanted long-term loyalty and, and as I've gotten older, I understand that not everybody has to wear the same flag or the same Jersey or, um, especially for their whole career. And you don't have to stop being friends with somebody because they, they've decided to go somewhere else. Um And I really like that um, when you transitioned away from racing into the Navy, I think Doug and I were always there to support you and and try to tell you you know keep your head down and and be safe and work hard and the The, the same things that we tried to teach you about racing we tried to teach you about going into your next career yeah
1: definitely and, and you know one one thing I remember from. From all of those years, really, you know, you just once that gate drops, you don't quit. You know, there's no, there's no stopping until until that flag comes out. And I think I think that same um, outlook has, has helped me through my career. It's 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 kind of helping me get through life right now. Um, you know, give it everything you got. And you guys have been such great friends over the years. Every time you know, pop back into the shop or over to the house to say hi and and you know share the adventures and, and stories and then, you know, stand by for some of those words of wisdom and life lessons and unique perspective that, that you guys have at your age and, and you know, work around on in a way. Easy,
0: easy, easy.
1: <laughs> I'm not too far behind anymore.
0: Oh, dude, you're 20 years behind me.
1: It's always going up.
0: Yeah, but I'm always going up, too. I know. <laughs> as long as I keep going up, we're all good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as soon as, the, soon as the hourglass stops, I'm in trouble. You know, we want to we want to keep those years going. Um, you know, I I don't know, I don't see it the same way you do. Maybe because I'm on the other side of the water or the other side of the river. Um, I just always look at it this way that that we're always here to to help, and if I can help somebody, I want to help. You know, if I have the knowledge that you need, if I have the tool in my hand that you need, I'm going to loan it to you. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you or, or make it a part of you so that y- you have a better perspective to make better decisions, you know, better your decisions. Like you choosing to go to the Navy was a great decision for your life because you were never going to be Doug Eichner. no. <laughs> You know, not not that you didn't have fun, not that it wasn't a great experience, but you know, Doug had the ride. Doug had an ability to ride that machine, but you also got to figure Doug's was much older than you and had a lot more experience, and he wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't that guy early in his career.
1: Yeah, he was always fun to
0: watch, though. Oh yeah. you came into a time in his life where he was on the West coast. He was unstoppable from Baja to best in the desert to works to ITP quad cross. I mean, he didn't win a lot of ITP quad crosses, but he won a couple. Um, I mean, because he was, he had turned into an endurance racer, you know, desert. He was super fast. Um, works you know he won five championships in a row I mean he was the guy to beat and I think he uh, was runner-up one year and um it started fading off from there but you know you get old he was almost 50 years old when he retired
1: yeah he had a hell of a run and and, and still one of my favorites um yeah I <laughs> I, I got I, you know for for what my racing career was as 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 short of a, a blip as it was, it was a great time and I had a lot of great experiences met a lot of great people and and the, the lessons learned they have definitely carried me you know well into in, into where I am today uh and, and I wish more kids could get out there and have have those kind of experiences for themselves um and find people to look up to and mentor them and 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 then you know talk them through those challenges be that person to come back to and check in every once in a while. Uh, I think that's incredibly important for where we are in our country today and and what the next generation needs. They need that.
0: Yeah. You got it. You got to get outside, put the phone down and go get dirty. Um, Yeah, Doesn't matter what sport it is, baseball, football, racing, ATVs, motorcycles, whatever you, you, you have to well, you got lucky because how many people get to go and meet that guy, you know, that they read about or the guy they seen on TV, you know, really, realistically, how often, how often does it happen?
1: I mean, I, I felt very fortunate that it, that it all worked out the way that it did. Um, uh, but what I would say is, hey, you know, put yourself out there. You never know what's possible. And, and, and if you don't put yourself out there, nothing's possible
0: that's true that's true i mean i've become a huge fan doing the podcast i've gotten to interact with some people that i've known for years and years and there again comes back down to that carrying a different flag some of the the gentlemen that i've had on the show and some of the ladies have always ridden for other people but they the friendship the um same dirt chewed you know it meant something it mattered, and you build a relationship and a bond with these people that maybe you didn't even realize you had, and uh, you rekindle uh, stories and friendships, and it's it's pretty awesome stuff, you know.
1: Oh, I think I think what you're doing with this program is is fabulous. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know when that gate drops, everybody's kind of at war out there on the track until until that checker flag comes out. But yeah, the reality is is we're all you know we're all in the same race. We're all having uh, uh, the same experience from different perspectives and there's so much to, to to be learned and had from that um you know after after everything's done um and and the dust is all settled there you know um and, and to let rivalries and things like that hinder those relationships and, and those opportunities for for everybody to take something away at one capacity or another i mean uh, no one has really no one, has, no, no one has come up with a forum uh, until, until you put together the ATV talk series to, to really uh, pr- promote that opportunity other than what conversations people might have in private. Um, so I think, I think what you're doing is, is, is a great thing for the industry. I think it's a great thing for, for kids to see and talk to and, and learn and meet. And, 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 and yeah, just overall spread awareness of the ATV industry and, and what's possible out there.
0: I got to go to Ohio recently. Yeah, how was that? Oh, dude, it was so great. Um, I got to meet so many young up-and-comers. And and I I didn't even get to meet uh, a a a tenth of them. But I got to meet some really nice young men that were... Well, I got to meet the the pro women that I've talked to almost all of them. I've talked to the top four in points, uh, you know, I've had them on the show got to spend a little time and and there's from, you know, mid twenties to um, 16 years old and in high school. And these ladies are out racing professional uh, not to take any way from anything away from the young men that I got to speak to, but it was amazing to meet their families and, and talk with them and, you know, say hello face to face versus a zoom meeting. You know, when this airs, we'll have already had our two year anniversary show, which was huge for me. Um, a a hero racer that was somebody that I looked up to, even though I, I kind of grew up with that person a little bit was Ricky Johnson. And I mean, he was our local hero our track hero, you know, and, and um, when you raced at Barona, the, the, this was the guy. And Ron Lachine, you know, I get to talk to him and, and he's a, a champ as well. And so th- you get to spend time with these guys that are uh, bigger than life, but they're not.
1: Yeah. Well, I think capturing those stories is super important.
0: Jacob, I would like to see if we could get you to talk to the youth that are listening to this, that might be thinking about a career in the military. What's some advice that you could leave them with to, to help their life decision and, and help them in the military?
1: Um, You know, I guess the, what I would say is that there is absolutely something out there for everybody. Um, If you want to, you want to be a chef, there's opportunities for that. If you want to work in administration, there's opportunities for that. If you want to kick down doors, there's opportunities for that. There is literally something out there for everybody.
0: Um, so for all the men and women that that have donated their lives and dedicated their lives to the country, thank you so much. Um, and Jacob, thank you for, for coming on ATV Talk Inspired. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience. Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs. And Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs.